Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Gil, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. You're looking great. I like it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have to ask, uh, I've been asking every researcher I've talked to about this so far, but do you feel like your time researching the Kennedy assassination is all that time was worth it? Because, I mean, we're 60 years in, the anniversary is coming up, and I think everyone's asking the question, is someone going to finally give us an answer? You know, we've lined up everything the research community has, and it seems like they're still just doubling down. Yeah, I, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. Anytime you have a, a, a major historical event like this, and especially one as tragic as this, I think it's worth it to get into it as deep as you can. Uh, we weren't told the truth in 1964, and uh, people need to know. People need to know what was going on back then. And uh, some of the stuff I found out recently, uh, I think it's it's enlightened me. It's given me a new outlook on everything. Uh, I've I've been saying for about 20 years now that Oswald never killed Kennedy. I mean, to me, it, the whole case was just garbage. And uh, and I'm beginning to to see the evidence of that, even in the, uh, especially in the way the authorities handle the case. And when I look at the case, I look at it really from three different perspectives. I look at it from uh, the way the authorities handled Oswald, the way the authorities handled the evidence, and the way the authorities handled the witnesses. And when you start to put that all together and look at that, and you look at the deficiencies that they had in this case where the police was should have done something and they didn't do it, and you ask the question, why didn't they do this? Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, back, uh, the All of the major pieces of evidence in this case was never authenticated by the people who found them, believe it or not. From the rifle to the uh, four shells at the Tippett murder scene to the three shells that were found on the sixth floor, none of these pieces of evidence were ever authenticated by the people who found them. In other words, the people who found the, these pieces of evidence never ever identified the, the evidence currently in the government's possession as the items they found. They never identified. Even CE-399 was never identified by the first four people to handle it. I mean, that chain of custody doesn't begin until it's in the FBI lab with Elma thought. Well, when you look at that and you say, well, maybe that's it's a coincidence, but it happened to all of the evidence, all of the evidence. We, don't, we still don't even know who found Oswald's jacket under the car in the parking lot. So when you look at that, you say, maybe it's a coincidence, but it's all the evidence. It's, it's all the evidence. It can't be a coincidence, okay? And when you have something like that, you say, okay, let me take a look at the chain of custody documentation. In other words, when somebody finds a piece of evidence, the first person that handles it, documents it, where it was found uh, and what they handled, who put their name on it, the date, the time they found it, and all of that stuff. And then everybody that handles that evidence going down the line signs that sheet or a form, whatever it is. It may come in a form. It may be a, a tag that's attached to the, uh, tied up to the uh, evidence. It may be a sticker that's put on a bag if the evidence is small enough and it's put in a bag. It may be a sticker that's put on a bag, but there's always documentation of a chain of custody um, from, and it has to be from the crime scene to the laboratory where it's examined. Uh, and it helps the, uh, the prosecutor in, in trial to uh, authenticate the evidence. Now, if the defense challenges the, the authentic, authentication of the evidence, he has this document. 
that says, okay, here's the people that handled it. If there's a problem with the uh, with the evidence, we know who handled it, right? If it's been substituted or if it's been tampered with, we know who handled it. Uh, none of the evidence, believe it or not, in this case has any documentation. Well, there's, there's no, no chain of there's no chain of custody on the rifle. There's no chain of custody on any of it. There's there, there's no documentation. I've been asking researchers for copies of the doc. If they have it, nobody has it. Nobody's seen it. It it never was made. They were never made chain of custody documentation on any of the evidence in this case. And I'd say to myself, why would they do that? Because if it went to trial, they'd have to have it. It, it, it was necessary. Well, the, the truth of the matter is, it was never going to go to trial. This case was never going to tr go to trial. Oswald was a dead man from the time he was arrested. And when Marina Roswald said she talked to her husband finally on Saturday, because they wouldn't let him talk to her on Saturday, on Friday, rather. She couldn't talk to her husband. She asked to see him and they denied it. They denied her access to her husband on Friday. So she didn't get the chance to see him until Saturday. And the reason why they did that, of course, was to, so that his family couldn't see him because he might ask them to get him a lawyer. And we can't have that. Thank God. We're asking him questions and he's lawyered up and we can't do that. We've already violated his constitutional rights. They, uh, so they, uh, The, uh, Marina Oswald said she talked to him and he said that everything was going to be okay. But she could see it in his eyes. He was afraid. He was scared. He knew. And even when he's asked the question in that famous tape where you see uh, in the video, we said, that, did you kill the president? And he says, no, the first time I was, I remember, uh, some, I heard about that was when the reporters and all asked me that question. And you could hear his voice break. He's scared because he knows what he's up against now. The truth of the matter is that the criminal justice system in Dallas back in 1963 and before even before that was corrupt. And the, all they cared about was conviction rates. And what I mean by a conviction rate is this. If I arrest someone, if I make 10 arrests and I get 10, eight convictions out of the 10 arrests, that's an 80% conviction rate. Okay. This is all they were interested in. They weren't interested in getting the right guy who committed the crime. This is what I try to make people see. They were trying, they were interested in convicting the guy they arrested because of their conviction rates. That's all they cared about. Well, that's even in the Warren Commission. If you look at the very bottom of the National Archives, it says the summary based on the evidence that Oswald was the assassin. I was like, well, you guys didn't look for another conspiracy candidate at all. So of course you just made everything fit that narrative. Right. That's what they did. They arrested the and they knew they arrested the wrong guy. They knew they had the wrong guy and they made a deal with Jack Ruby to take him out before they turned him before they lost custody to the sheriff. They wanted to make sure that this case was never going to go to trial. That's why they never did the chain of custody forms. See, that's why they never had the people who found the evidence identify the evidence. They didn't need that. They weren't. That's why they questioned him without a lawyer. That's why they set up the police lineups to, to try to implement him in the case to get the witnesses to, to, to say he was the one. These these people in the police lineups, these fillers never matched any of the descriptions that the witnesses gave of the Tippett's killer. One guy was dark skinned and wore a, wore a suit coat. The other guy was uh, blonde hair and it, we had a red vest on. The other guy was a short, fat guy wearing a, a gray sweat, woolen sweater. No witness ever described Tippett's killer as any of those. So who are they going to pick? There's only one guy there to pick. They got to pick somebody. Got the three stooges killing Kennedy over there just with all those descriptions. I mean, and, and even Helen Markham, Helen Markham hesitated. She, she, she didn't know what to say because she knew 
according to her testimony, she knew that she had never seen these four men before. She had never seen them before, even at the Tippett killing. So she, here she is, she's take, picking number two, who's Oswald, but she's admitting also on the road that she's never seen him before. So she's picking somebody who wasn't there. Why? Because she said in her testimony, the cops kept asking her, which one, which one, which one? She felt pressure. And that's not the only witness that the Warren Commission said was a positive identification. That wasn't no positive identification. Are you kidding me? It wasn't even near it. Could I ask what evidence you would look at the most? Like, would you look at the crime scene evidence or would you look at like all the suspicious evidence that's sort of popping out of Ruth Payne's house? Even the stuff that the detectives found when she wasn't there, which makes it even seem even more suspicious. Yeah, I, I would I would look at all I would look at the thing I would look at is the behavior of the police. That's what I would that's what I would look at. I would look at the behavior of the police and how they did it. Why would they go back on Saturday to search the house to search the basically the garage? Why would they go back on the Saturday if they had already searched it on Friday? They took a ton of shit out of there on Friday. Yeah, I and, think the officials, and they took almost nothing out on Saturday. The official statement, I think, of that some of the pain stuff might have gotten mixed up with Oswald's stuff that they took because they were just taking everything. They were taking everything, and they pissed off Ruth Payne, and Ruth Payne said, enough. That's it. She stopped the search. So by right, what they could have done was they could have got a hold of a judge and got a search warrant and just continued the search. They didn't have to come back the next day. Why would you come back the next day and risk any evidence that's there being destroyed overnight? Because you don't know if the pains are involved in this. You don't know them from a hole in the wall. Why would you do that? Why would you leave there with the evidence that you have and say, oh, well, we'll come back tomorrow? There's another thing that gets that's really strange about this search at the pain residence. The pains are going out to do food shopping. The cops come knocking on the door with the uh, with the search warrant, and they leave them there. They leave the cops there. Would you leave the cops at your house if they were searching? If they came up with a search warrant? If I had to get groceries for the third time, yes. Well, yeah, but the groceries can wait. <laughs> groceries can wait, right? I mean, I wouldn't leave the cops alone in my house to search my house with me not there. Who knows what the hell they're going to find? Not that I have anything illegal here, but I mean, what? How do I know they're not going to plant some? And if I'm the cop, why would I leave, let them leave? I don't know these people, right? They could be suspects. The, way, the correct way to do it would be to have them sit on the couch in the living room or the police officer with them and make sure they don't move because that, that way they don't go for a weapon or they don't go to destroy any evidence that might be there, right? So you're protecting your officers. And... And you turn around, you leave them, you tell them they got to stay there until the search is completed. Once the search is completed, they can go wherever they want. To. But that's not what they do. The cops let them leave. Why? Because they're going to plant the photographs there. That's why. The backyard photographs that they find on Saturday that they didn't see on Friday night, right? They took all of this shit out of there on Friday night, but they didn't find the backyard photographs. They didn't find them until Saturday. Why? Because they went back there on Saturday and planted those things there. Then. They call the Irving Police Department. They said they arrived with an Irving officer. He wasn't there when they arrived. He didn't get. They didn't get. He didn't get the call till two forty-five, and they were there at one thirty. So they waited over an hour to call the Irving officer. Why? Because he was the one that found the first photograph. They let him find the first photograph. They went in there. They planted it. So okay, now we call the Irving cops. Let the Irving detective show up. When the Irving detective shows up, he finds the first photograph. Oh wow! Let me take a look at that. Wow, you found a photograph? Wow. All of a sudden, then Gus Rose finds the second photograph and the two negatives. Oh, my goodness. 
here we go. It, it, it just, the whole search thing on Saturday makes no sense. Did you find it weird that they wrote, one of them wrote down that there was a Minox spy camera and then they, later that guy was asked to change it to a, a Minox light meter or something light like meter, that? Yeah, yeah, a light meter. And he yeah. was asked a couple of times, the guy was refusing to change his statement to that, but that eventually got switched to a light meter. But I think that's just suspicious in its own. It's like, then where's the Minox spy camera then? Because apparently Ruth Payne picked it up and said it was Michael Payne's, but apparently Michael Payne's was broken. According to the documentation, they found the first backyard photograph at 3.20 p.m., and that was found by the Irving officer McCabe, John McCabe. He was a detective, the Irving police. He found it at 3.20, okay? But the uh, Captain Fritz's report says that he went, he uh, interrogated Oswald at 12.35, okay? That's almost three hours earlier about the backyard, about where the photographs were taken with him with the rifle, backyard, where he lived, okay? Because he had been told by, by Michael Payne the night before that it was on Neely Street. So he went to question Oswald to find out where were these photographs taken? How the hell did he question Oswald three hours before the photograph was found? Right? Time travel. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Fritz questions him at 1235 for a photograph that isn't going to be found until three hours later. That's bullshit. They had the photograph on Friday night. They had that photograph on Friday night. And that's the reason why it has different um it has different sling mounts on it. C-133A has the bottom sling mounts, and the depository rifle has side sling mounts. It's not even the same rifle. It's a fake photograph. That's what it is. It's faked. It may be Oswald's face on someone else, or it may be someone that just happened to look a little bit like Oswald. Did you believe, like, the Roscoe, the Roscoe White thing, that it might be Roscoe White? Could be. Could be. It could be, uh, it could be anybody. It could be whoever, whoever, the, uh, whoever they were people that were setting him up uh, had had available. They could have put his face on somebody else. And it, and that photograph could have been faked. I, I know that the officials say they look at it and they look at the negative and well, they, they don't have the negative. That's another thing. They never had the negative, but they looked at the, the, the photograph and they say, no, it can't be faked because it would be airbrushed and you'd be able to tell. But there was a way to fake it, and the FBI expert explained it to the Warren Commission how that photograph could be faked. He said it was impossible, but then he went ahead and said how it could be faked. So it was a possibility that it could be faked. Um, I would I would look at the behavior of the police and what they did and how they did it, and uh, that's really, to me, knowing how it should have been done and knowing how they did it. But this whole thing about them and the uh, and the conviction rates and how they how they conducted their business uh, is really that's really opened my eyes to a lot of it and shown me now that this is this was just another case that business as usual. This is the way they did things. And 19 of Wade's convictions had been overturned on DNA evidence later on. Now, those are convictions. In other words, this, this guy presented a case to the jury or a judge, depending on who heard the case, that was strong enough and had evidence strong enough to convict 19 people who were innocent, who never committed the crime, and whose convictions later on, like I said, was he even sent an, a, convinced an, a jury to send an innocent man to the electric chair in 1954. Henry Wade was the son of a bitch. And, uh, but this was the way they did business then. This is the way they handled things back then. 
And so I'm not surprised that they could arrest the wrong person and then just try to fit the evidence to make him guilty. And when they knew they they knew by Sunday that they had a weak case and this case was not going to go to trial. And so what? He's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. Well, I mean, do you know more about Jesse Curry? Do you know more about Hostie? Did you look at those guys at all? Their name comes up a lot throughout the assassination. Yeah, I'm 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 really suspicious with the uh, with the chief with Curry because Curry was a Johnson man. Uh, when there's a cop killer in a city running around and his detectives are trying to find them and everything else, and the president just was assassinated, and Curry's on Air Force One getting a photo op with Lyndon Johnson. I mean, he's obviously a Johnson man. But it, another thing I I find very strange with him is his behavior when it came to the transfer of Oswald. He was the one who absolutely would not change uh, uh, transfer Oswald at night. The sheriff wanted Oswald transferred at night. Fritz wanted Oswald transferred at night. And Curry said, no, we're going to transfer him during the day on Sunday because that's what I promised the press. And, you know, it, that's. Why would you? Yeah. Why would you risk it for the press why, if it's a security your, issue? Your, your, your purpose at this point is to protect the life of the prisoner to make sure that he goes to trial, okay? Because if he's, if I'm the cop that's prosecuting this guy and he's the real killer, I want to see this son of a bitch fry, right? I don't want him, I don't want somebody walking out of a crowd and putting a bullet in him and putting it, taking, putting an end to my case. I've worked hard on this case. I'm going to protect this guy, make sure he gets his trial, make sure he's, uh, he's convicted by a, a jury of his peers that there's absolutely no, beyond, beyond the reason of doubt that there's, he's of his guilt, and I'm going to make sure that I'm I'm present when they pull that trick, when they pull that pull that trigger, when they pull the switch for this guy. I want to make sure that justice is done. This guy, for some reason, he just he he, he it was like he was he was in another world. He didn't care about security, and then he takes his phone off the hook. So when all of this shit, when all the threats start coming until, uh, on uh, Saturday night for Oswald and everybody's trying to reach him, they can't reach him. And they're too afraid to send a cruiser by his house. I would have woke his ass up. If I, was, if I was the captain in charge, I would have said, send a cruiser by the chief's house and wake him up and have him call me. Because he took his phone off the hook. Nobody could reach him. <laughs> He's made his decision and that's it. Either that or I would have made the decision myself and screw the chief. Let him fire me. You know what I mean? I would have moved him. I would have moved him. If the sheriff said, well, it's a, we, we need to move him because of the threat uh, against Oswald, I would have moved him. I would have they, they said, oh, no, we didn't want to move him at night because if uh, if somebody tried to take a shot at him, he might hit one of the officers. Well, I mean, you know, that's a chance you take, but you don't announce it. You don't tell them, oh, yeah, we're going to move him at 10 a.m. <laughs> Every nutcase that wants to kill him is going to be ready. Have you looked at the DPD archives when you're looking through some testimonies and affidavits that have been signed? There's some strange ones in there. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've looked, I've looked if, at some of them. I haven't if, looked at a lot. I about to say, if you're looking at Dallas police, I would be looking at the affidavits and stuff like that. Like there's one affidavit. I can't remember the guy's name, but he talked about seeing a person walk. I don't know if it's by Curry or not, but he was the guy was wondering why that dude didn't stop him. And I'm like, do you guys just have open walkthroughs when someone's about to be released and you know trying to be transferred like it doesn't make sense hey guys i know they opened it up for the press but they didn't verify they didn't check everyone's press credentials that's how jack ruby got in there they were supposed yeah, they to they were supposed to uh, they're supposed to be checking everybody and uh 
that's why they said that they tried to they tried to get out of it by saying Ruby walked down the ramp, and uh, while the police officer was distracted outside um, the traffic, the, the, there was supposed to be a police officer at the door, and he stepped out on the curb to uh, stop traffic so one of the cruisers could walk could drive out of the out of the ramp. And while he was doing that, Ruby walked down the, the ramp. That was uh, their excuse for allowing him into the building. So like, it was an innocent an innocent mistake. You don't think the like what would be the best evidence to use if Oswald made it to a trial? You don't think the rifle would have lasted? Uh, it's I, it's hard to say because they didn't find the uh, evidence on the rifle till Saturday morning, like four o'clock on Saturday morning. Uh, his fingerprints were not on the rifle when the FBI examined it. The FBI said that there was no, it would, none of his prints were on that right. Well, there were partial prints, but they couldn't identify because of the way they do it. They, the way they do the identification, they couldn't do it because they couldn't find enough similarities between the partial and his prints. So they couldn't identify those as his prints. Um, as far as the documentation on the rifle goes, mm, I don't know, because you got documentation for a 36 inch rifle and the rifle in the book repository is 40 inch. Would that be enough to cast some doubt in the minds of a jury? Maybe. Maybe. Well, I think a lot of the stuff in the Kennedy assassination, a lot of where we hear these stories and theories comes from the fact that he never made it to a trial. Like, for instance, everyone goes, well, then if he had a rifle, he took a shot at the president. How did he get it into the building? And then you get the curtain rod story that pops up out of nowhere and everyone's suspecting that, well, it wasn't long enough or no one saw him carry it in. So maybe it had to be planted there a day before. And then it starts going into areas where you can't. It's like Russell's teapot. It means if I tell you there's a teapot floating in outer space, you can't prove me wrong and you can't prove me right. You could spend all the time looking up there, but it's it's a hypothetical. It's just space is endless. You're never going to be able to find it. That's what a lot of these st this stuff is. You can prove some theories wrong or this is this, but eventually you start getting into where you, you can't prove anything. You can't prove it right. You can't prove it wrong. And that's like with the curtain rod story. I mean, what would you say if – you had to look at an area in the case that you found to be the most difficult. Like I've learned from just looking at transcripts and records of changing my opinion on certain things or really going by what the document says. And there's some like Richard Case Nagel, I can't go into that because that's just there's there's a lot of it's me don't know. I don't know what level of intelligence he was, if he was any. But is there anything in the case for you that you could like tip it? Why was he in that neighborhood? Why was he doing there? Do you think that he was part of the conspiracy? I've heard that from people, but I mean, he gets his, I don't know if he was a good cop or not. So that's the thing is there's personalities where you're trying to narrow down who these people were to understand why they were in the predicament that they're in. And you really can't because everyone's got 50 personalities now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as Tippett goes, I, I don't find anything strange about him being in that area. Because you had a lot of units that were tied up downtown with the assassination, uh, he was out of his area. But uh, that's not that's not strange for a, a city or a town. Let's say if one cruise is tied up, or a, a cruise is tied up somewhere, or a bunch of cruises are tied up somewhere, to have other people cover their areas uh, while they're tied up. So I I don't find it that that strange. Uh, there was a mention in the testimony that Tippett had been involved in some kind of narcotics tra uh, trafficking. And uh, Chief Curry was asked about that during his, uh, I think it was Alan Dulles that asked him uh, about it, if he had heard anything about it. Curry said, no, I, I didn't hear anything about it. 
So who knows if that had anything to do with it? That was that was a something that was never pursued. Um, one of the one of the more difficult things is uh, has to do with the Mauser. You remember the Mauser? They said the Mauser. The seven point six five Mauser. Yeah, the Mauser. For me, that's I I. I want to believe that it was a second weapon that was found in the building, that it wasn't to be confused with the uh, the uh, Manlika Carcano. Most people will say, well, it's a Manlika Carcano. You can see when they bring that out of the building, it's a Manlika Carcano, blah, 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 blah. But it may have been a second weapon. It may not have been that just, see, they found in the, this guy that brought the two, it just really bugs me, this. This guy that brought the two, two uh, rifles in the building, Two days before the assassination, Warren Castle. Okay, I saw that in Truly's testimony. He said that, and I was wondering who that guy was and why was he bringing guns to the book depository building. That's crazy. Yeah, he he had gone out at his lunch break. He was a regional manager for Southwest Publishing, and he uh, he went out on his lunch break to buy his son uh, a twenty-two for Christmas. This was this is his story now. This is his testimony. Back uh, in the "you'll shoot your eye out" days. Yeah. So. He uh, he went he went to the store and bought his son a twenty two. While he was there, he saw a thirty yard six deer rifle that he liked, so he purchased that one. So he brought both of them back to the tech, to the school book depository. He brought them into the building, and they were examined by Roy Truly and William Shelley. Oswald was the one who brought this up to the Dallas police because he saw them. He said the only rifles I ever saw in that building were these two, and he told the Dallas police about it, and. So anyways, this guy, just to show you, this really, like I said, this really bugs me because this, when it came to testimony, the Warren Commission uh, asked 18 pages, I think it was, of questions to Jack Ruby's MC, uh, Bill DeMar, and 18 pages for Ruby's MC at his club. And this guy here who brought two rifles into the building two days before the president was assassinated, they asked him a whole questions that totaled a whole two pages, two pages. That was it. That's all he gets in a whole 26 volumes. He gets two pages and he brought two rifles into the building two days before the assassination. This is ridiculous. Why didn't they take those rifles? Why didn't they take those rifles and test them? Why didn't they take those rifles and test them? Why didn't they show them to the witnesses who claim to have seen a rifle in that, in that window, a man with a rifle? Why didn't they take, they didn't. They didn't do anything. Why didn't they verify the seal? They didn't do anything. So, not now, sweetheart. Uh, the uh, so so all of this that happened, it should have been investigated, and it wasn't. And he claims that he was having lunch with a guy up in uh, uh, North Texas State University, a business a business professor up at uh, North Texas State University, Vernon Payne. P-A-Y-N-E, uh, who was a professor up there. And later on, he became, I think, head of the department, business department, North Texas State University. Now, North Texas State University is interesting in all of this because they've got uh, a right-wing group up there that's uh, completely anti-Kennedy. Now, I'm not saying that this professor had anything to do with that group, but it was never even looked at. The FBI never looked at it. And the FBI was good for this because they never looked at anything. Uh, anytime they had a lead, they didn't look at. Same thing with the uh, Miltier. They, they 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 go and talk to him. They got a recording of him saying the president's going to be killed from a building with a high-powered rifle. 
right, in Miami. They got they got Miltier saying that. They got him on recorded. They got him on on, on tape saying that. And so they go in, the FBI goes to him later on after the assassination. He says, no, I never said that. You didn't say this? No, you didn't say that. So he said, okay, that's good. See you later. Well, and uh, what they should have done was they should have arrested him right on the spot because they had the evidence that he said it. He was making a false statement to a federal agent. I, you know what I was said to him? I said, look, pal, if you, you're under arrest. And I hope you ain't got nothing to do for the next five years because your ass is going to be in a federal prison. You're being arrested for making a false statement to a federal uh, agent. Get him in the FBI office, right? And then when he lawyers up, play the tape for him and his lawyer. You know what his lawyer is going to tell him? Whatever they want to do, you better make a deal with him because it's not worth five years of your life. We got the evidence against him. And then he denies saying. So he, he's committed a crime. But they didn't do that to him. They let they said they let him deny it, and they said let him go, right? But to the, to the witnesses who said, "Oh, I I I saw the guy that did that, and it wasn't Oswald," they turn around and they say to those witnesses, the FBI, they say to him, "If you say that you're positive, that's a statement, and if it ends up that you say it wasn't Oswald, and it ends up being Oswald, you made a false statement to a federal agent, and you could go to prison for that." They they harassed witnesses into changing their stories. They changed what the witnesses told them. In uh, in the reports, they uh, threatened witnesses. One FBI agent in New Orleans threatened the witness, to, threatened to kill him. You tell him, you tell the uh, Warren Commission anything about me and Oswald, and I'm going to kill your ass. I'm going to take you out. Well, now, who do you think's not... the most? Who do you think's the most culpable in all this? The FBI or the CIA? I mean, we can pick them both apart if you'd like. But I've been looking at a lot of things like Adrian Alba, who saw Oswald in New Orleans, talked about uh, shaving down one of the it was the scope or something like that, doing something to make the and he even talked about the rifle. You know, Oswald couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. That was his statement. But in his Warren Commission testimony, he he said that Oswald would run out to this car that was an FBI agent and hand him a letter. How come that was not investigated? How come that was not picked up? That's a very big issue. But everywhere, even with um, when Oswald came back from Russia, was his name John Fain? I think his name is. Yeah, he even took in his Warren Commission testimony, they asked him if he ever thought Oswald was violent when you talked to him. And he goes, no, no, sir. I don't think he was violent at all. I wouldn't have ended the case investigation on him. But then it gets reinvestigated again and Hostie's in charge of it. That's a little bit suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, what what makes you laugh is that the uh, uh, I think personally, I think the CIA was behind it. The CIA set it up. But I think Oswald was an FBI informant. And I think what happened was when he went down to New Orleans, he tried to infiltrate the, uh, uh, the he DRE. To, well, he tried to start his own fair play for Cuba committee. Me and yeah, that but I mean, he, he tried to infiltrate the DRE. He went into Carlos Bring, Bringier's store, clothing store, and tried to talk him into uh, uh, letting him train the uh, exiles. He was trying to – and Bringier says that he was – suspicious that Oswald was an FBI informant. He was. That's what he, exactly what he was. Because when he was finally arrested in the street squall uh, and he was taken into the New Orleans police station, who did he ask to see? An FBI agent. Why would you do that? Why would you ask for an FBI agent to come and see you? Then, then the FBI agent comes to see him. And according to the FBI agent, Oswald didn't say anything. He had nothing to say to him, really. Why would you call the guy in to come all the way there to say nothing? That's bullshit. So Oswald was an FBI informant. I think Oswald was originally CIA, and I think he turned 
he turned on the CIA and, and started watching them for the FBI. And that's why Oswald had a relationship with Warren DeBruis in New Orleans. He had a relationship with James Hostie in Dallas. Hostie, one of Hostie's responsibilities was to keep a watch on the right wing, to see these right wing nuts, to keep an eye on them. And I think he was using Oswald to do that. And um, You don't think he was curious about um, Marina Oswald being maybe a swallow, one of those KGB agents or something like that? That was in John Fain's testimony, but also I think that's why Oswald got mad because Hostie was stalking his wife. Yeah, Hosty was trying to Hosty was trying to put the make on his wife. That's what it was. Really, he was getting pissed. Yeah, he was damn. He's I mean, he's a good looking guy. Can't complain with that, I guess. Yeah, he was. Uh, Hosty was trying to. Hosty was trying to. That's what I heard. I heard Hosty was trying to be. You know, he's trying to make advances towards Marina, and uh, and so Oswald was a little bit jealous. Oswald was jealous of everybody, and uh, but I think that that I think that that Oswald meant. With them on the 16th, I think it was in the Dallas paper that Oswald had met with them on the FBI on the 16th. Now, on the 16th, uh, that's only what six days before the assassination. Yeah, weekend before that would have been the weekend that he did not go to week Ruth Payne's house. He didn't go that weekend. Um, the weekend before, and here's another thing too: the Warren Commission said that the reason why Oswald went to uh, Irving on the 21st was to get his rifle. And of course, that's he went to the, he went to Irving on the twenty first because the weekend before he had had a fight with his wife on the phone over his uh, alias that uh, he was using at his rooming house. She called the rooming house and asked for Lee Oswald. Said nobody here by that name because he had given her the number. She didn't know where he was living. She just knew the phone number. So when Hostie come knocking on the door, she gave Hostie the phone number, but she didn't know what her location was. Hosty could have very well traced that phone number through the phone company very easily. He would have found out where the address was. But she called the ad number. And so when Oswald calls her, because he used to call her, I think it was every Sunday he used to call her. Oswald calls her. She gets mad and says, well, I called that number and there's nobody there by Lee Oswald. He says, oh, they must have got my name wrong or something. They must have misunderstood. But there it is right in his own handwriting, O.H. Lee, right in the register. So he's... He's what he's doing is he's trying to avoid the FBI for one reason or another. Maybe he knows that the FBI is involved in all of this and whatever he's been reporting to the FBI is getting back to the guys that he's supposed to be spying on. He's, he's being double crossed. So he's trying to avoid the FBI. And so they have this big fight. Anyways, they have this big fight over the phone. She hangs up on him and she, and he tries to call on her back and she won't take, she won't take his call. She won't answer the phone. So, the only alternative he has is to go there in person. So he goes there on Thursday. Instead of going there on Friday, because he has no ride back to Dallas on, on Saturday. So he goes on a Thursday. That way, if it don't work out, he can ride back with Wesley Frazier on Friday morning. Okay, So he goes there on Thursday to try to heal things with her. And, of course, nobody expected him to show up. He showed up out of the clear blue. Ruth Payne was shocked that he showed up on a Thursday. His wife was surprised to see him. But... And then he starts talking to his wife about getting together and getting a, getting a, a, an apartment in Dallas now that he has a job. This is not a guy who's going to kill the president in 12 hours. Come on. He's making future plans with his wife and her family. He wants his family together. He doesn't want them living with Ruth Payne. So this is the reason, real reason why he went there. When you look at the testimony and you see it, you say, this whole story about him going there to get his rifle, that's bullshit. 
When do you think that the FBI intersected him or pulled him and got he got on that line with the FBI instead of being on central intelligence? Uh, do you think it was the return trip from Russia when they, I they think, talked to him? I think car? when he came back from Russia, the FBI interviewed him. Uh, actually, they went to his, his apartment, but he, he went out in the car and sat with them in the car. Yeah, that was John Fain, and we don't know what exactly they discussed. That was exactly Fain and his discussed. partner. I forget who his partner was, but it, it was Fain and his partner. And I think if you read the what they said, uh, he says that he asked Oswald if anybody, you know, had contacted him to let the Bureau know, and Oswald agreed to do that. Well, once Oswald agrees to do that, he becomes an informant. Whether whether he has anything to inform on or not, I don't know, because uh, they kept that pretty close to the vest. They played that pretty close to the vest. I think they might have leveraged getting Marina her citizenship, and that's what he was concerned about, and that's how they got him. Yeah, the... Uh, uh, they they did some uh, shady stuff as far as uh, threatening witnesses and stuff, and they threatened her too. They threatened the deporter at one point after the assassination when they had her over the Six Flags. They threatened the deporter. They brought a guy, a guy from the INS in New York, all the way down to explain to her that if she got deported, she'd never see her kids again because her kids were American citizens. They were born in this country. So if she gets deported, her, her kids stay here and she goes back to Russia. So what is she going to say? She had a telephone conversation some years ago with Jesse Ventura, and she told Jesse Ventura, she said, if you, she, how would she say, no, because he, he, he said it in the video, he, he said, uh, she said to him, would you, would you sacrifice your children for the truth? So there it is right there. She's telling him, I said what I said because of my kids. She was under that much duress. You know, what mother's going to give up her kids to tell the truth? I'll lie. I'll lie like a rug to to keep my kids, you know, and that's what she's telling. Would you sacrifice your children for the truth? No, the answer is no. Most people would say no. I wouldn't do that. Which do you? Th what? Well, when we get to, I want to get to the Warren Commission because I think it's important to talk about the Warren Commission. But the FBI and CIA both withheld information from the Warren Commission. I mean, I know when people say the CIA is behind, it's because Alan Dulles is on charge of the Warren Commission. He was fired by Kennedy, and everyone suspects Alan Dulles being this mastermind behind the plot. I don't. I agree. I mean, I don't, I'm not. I'm in the same boat. I just think that if you look at even the Warren Commission, I, I see agencies at bat here. When we talk about like Hoover had Gerald Ford giving him information about what the Warren Commission was up to, CIA had Alan Dulles, who was in charge of the Warren Commission, being able to be there hands on with the material investigation. Where I go, I, I mean, is this all about the investigation or is it just FBI versus CIA on this front? I don't think they're working together to cover up because there's a lot of things. They're both talking trash on each other. Well, they're, they're covering up their roles. They're covering up their roles and what they knew ahead of time. That's what they're doing. Uh, Dulles is there to, to protect the CIA from any of their their information from getting into the uh, official official record. And Ford is telling uh, Hoover, like you said, everything that's going on. So Hoover's well aware. He's got eyes and ears in the in the Warren Commission. And these are the two commissioners, if you will, that heard more witnesses than anybody else. So they're covered. The FBI and the CIA is covered. Then you got John McCloy. Who was uh, who was responsible for bringing the Nazis over after World War II and uh, allowing them to come into the uh, United States in the military? So now you get the military guy there. Uh, you got you got because they were all involved, and it, 
it was done in Dallas because they could get away with it. That's the reason why they did it in Dallas. They couldn't get away with it in Miami because they couldn't get the Miami police on board. Miami police uh, vice unit uh, wouldn't go along with it. They they were the ones that grabbed uh, Miltia. They were the ones that uh, recorded Miltia. So the, the Miami police wouldn't go along with it. The Chicago uh, plot didn't uh, materialize because JFK canceled. Because GM over in South, in South Vietnam had been... Uh, murdered in a coup, in an assassination, in a coup. So he canceled it because that that mess over there. Uh, he was supposed to be uh, attending, I think it was an Army-Navy game or something, Chicago. And there were four Cuban gunmen that were, the Secret Service had received uh, information that they were en route to Chicago to kill Kennedy. And uh, they arrested two of them. Uh, from my understanding, the other two got away. And, um, and then the two that were arrested were released the next day. And then he arrested another guy, uh, Thomas uh, Valley. Yeah, Thomas Arthur uh, Valley. Yeah, he had uh, he had a bunch of weapons in his car. Chicago and, plot, uh, right? Yeah, Chicago plot, and uh, they they arrested him and they let him go the next day. You know, I mean, if you got, you got a guy with that kind of weaponry, who's who's threatening to kill the president or is is en route to kill the president, why would you let him go the next day? <laughs> why would you let him go the next day why because the president's not in the city how do you know he's not going to go somewhere else and kill him <laughs> i mean it's just it's just ridiculous some of the things they did you could you tell me you couldn't charge him with something you couldn't charge him with uh you know illegal uh, weapons or transporting uh, weapons across state lines or hell some, hit some him with bullshit. tax fraud <laughs> yeah anything 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 to hold him there you know I mean, Lee Harvey Oswald, they could have at least they could have held him on the on the charge of assault and battery on a police officer because he punched the cop in the face. So, I mean, you could you could at least hold him for that. Uh, well, how dangerous I mean, is trusting just basic notes of, of the interrogation for Oswald? I mean, they could have easily grabbed a press recorder's camera person or anything, any recording device and had it recording. They had two. um. Oh, God, I'm going to blank on the word for it. They had two people that could easily type up a transcript as they were talking in that headquarters, and they didn't bother reaching out to that any of those people. Yeah, stenographers. Yeah, stenographers. Yeah, they, they, they could have gone to the courthouse and got a court stenographer. It doesn't matter because they get that little typing machine that they type. And uh, they could have got a court stenographer. They could have got a stenographer. They could have recorded it. with a, You're telling me that in a whole city of Dallas, there was no tape recorders? They couldn't borrow somebody's tape recorder from someplace? Come like, on. 10,000 press in the hallway they could have grabbed. Yeah, they could have grabbed somebody with a camera and just recorded the whole thing right there. But they didn't. Why? And, and this is another reason why. You see, this is what I'm talking about, the way they treated Oswald. This is another reason why when you do that, there's no there's no room to to, to make shit up. You got Everything is there. The proof is there. See, you. this is the reason why you can't do it. If you if you if you make the uh, if you make out the uh, chain of custody forms, you can't you can't substitute the evidence because everything is there. Everything's documented. This is the reason why they didn't do it. This is the reason why they didn't record it. They can say whatever the, whatever the hell they want to say that Oswald said. It's all hearsay. But they can say whatever they want to say that he said. That doesn't mean he said it. You know, you're hearing it all from this is what the Dallas police said. He said. But what did he say every time? What was he saying every time he was out in the public? You know, these police officers will not allow me legal representation. These police officers, I've not been allowed legal representation. I've been, how else did he say it? He said, I pr protested. He was, I was given a short 
sweet hearing. I protested at that time that I was not allowed legal representation. That was the Tippett uh, arraignment. When he, he was arraigned for Tippett, according to Texas law, when he was arraigned by, for, the, for the murder of J.D. Tippett, the judge should have issued him uh, or assigned to him a lawyer. And that wasn't done. And so they asked the cops, well, what did he say? Did he say anything at the arraignment? Cops said, gee, he said something, but I don't know what it was. Now, all of these cops, you got three or four cops and the judge who heard, who, uh, brought, you know, uh, told them of the charges against them for killing Tippett. And they all can't remember what Oswald said. Gee, Oswald said something. He said he protested that he didn't have any lawyer. They said, well, he said something, but I don't remember what it was. You know, all of a sudden they all got amnesia. They can't, they can't remember what the hell the, the guy said. You know, when you look at this and the way they handled this case and the things that they said, you know, you say, this is bullshit because this is not, this, this does not happen in a criminal investigation. It just doesn't happen this way. You know, I mean, when you're honest and you're looking for justice and you're looking to get the right people, it doesn't work this way. This is these are the kind of tactics that you use when you're trying to railroad somebody, an innocent man for a crime he didn't commit. That's what it amounts to. And that's the reason why I, I think the whole case is bullshit. Well, you mentioned before something really important, but you said you don't think he was going to make it. He was never going to stand trial. Do you think he was going to be killed at the Texas School Book Depository? Or do you think it was the theater that he should have never made it out of the theater? You know, that's a hard question because uh, he could have he been. You know, there was there was a document. It's funny you say that because there's a there was a document that was, I don't know if you remember seeing the pictures of the front of the Texas School Book Depository. There's a guy there that looks like Jack Ruby. Some people have claimed it was Jack Ruby in front of the table, but it's a guy. He looks similar to Jack Ruby, but I don't think it is Ruby. But anyways, there was a document that these two women had seen this guy. They said was Jack Ruby again, uh, hand Oswald a pistol when he left the building. Now, again, could it have been that he was he was supposed to be killed in the theater? But he, the thing is, he didn't pull the weapon. See. That was the whole thing. There were witnesses in there and he didn't pull the weapon. The lights went on. There were witnesses there watching what was going on. There's also, there's also some discrepancies because there's two people arrested um, in the theater. One, obviously, we know about the person that saw somebody in the, the, the guy thought he saw Oswald in the back alley. And he thought that for like 30 years until they showed saw the footage of him actually being pulled out from the front and the photos of it as well, too. But there was two people and one was arrested in the balcony and one was arrested on the main floor. I do believe Oswald was arrested on the main floor because um, that's where the guy said he's down here. But then you're looking at records that say Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested in the balcony. So that should raise suspicions for anyone. Like, which one is it? You know, so they obviously arrested two different people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Yeah. Well, they took two of them out of the building, but they let one go. They let one go because they once they found out who he was, they knew they knew this was the guy they wanted. Is it possible that the one that they arrested and let go was the guy who didn't pay for a ticket? Yeah. Yeah, because that's Oswald paid for his. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure he did, too. But uh, I, I agree. I agree that that guy went in because because the ticket the ticket taker uh, said he never Oswald came in at one oh seven between one and one oh seven, and so he couldn't have killed Tippett number one. And he said that uh, if the guy came in, if somebody came in after that, he never saw the guy. So that means he went up in the balcony because from his from where he was standing at the concession stand, uh, 
the balcony was out of his sight. So the guy could have come through the first set of doors and gone up into the balcony. All he had to do was slip it. And, and here's another thing, too. The guy that's the manager of the theater, he was coming out as this guy was allegedly going in. He was never called as a witness to see if he recognized the guy, you know, that, that passed him going in that went up to the balcony. <clears throat> There's so many witnesses that should have been called in this case that weren't called and other witnesses that were called that had nothing to offer. Wasting the time. Wasting the time. One woman was a, a friend of a woman who babysat Oswald when he was two and a half years old. What the hell does she know? Well, th actually, this is a really important question because I used your reference on your website for my conversation with Craig Saccone, if you saw that episode. Um, I talked about the number of people that the Warren Commission interviewed and all this, and we went in depth onto the interviews. The Warren Commission, I think, I don't know the exact number because I've seen different numbers, but I think it's like 952 witnesses or somewhere around 552. that. 552. Okay. I said 900. My bad. Um, 552 witnesses, but they only did 93 interviews or something of that sort. Correct? Well, I think I think that the commission has only heard from 93 witnesses. The rest were all depositions uh, that were done. Like uh, they'd have the lawyers fly out to Dallas and they depose the witnesses. They take testimony from the witnesses there. But if you go to the National Archives and you hit their what their hearings or what their meetings or whatever their interviews are marine oswald ruth payne uh demorne shields they're all people that weren't even in dealey plaza so you can't say witnesses to the assassination members when you're interviewing family members and people that weren't even robert oswald's in there margaret oswald's in there they weren't in dealey plaza when the shots rang out no, they flew Jack Ruby's brother all the way to Washington to give testimony. What the Getting hell does he know? Travel miles. Yeah, Earl Ruby. What the hell does he know? You got to be kidding me, you know. But but so, and and they, I think it's I think that's they didn't important. Even, some people, yeah, and some people they didn't even interview William Newman and, and his wife were right there, with, you know, ten feet away from JFK when his head exploded. But because he said the shots had come over from over his shoulder up on the grassy knoll, he was never called as a witness. This is the kind of bullshit that this is not what an investigation does. This is this is a collection of evidence against one suspect, Oswald. And if it wasn't Oswald or it didn't prove that Oswald was guilty, they completely ignored it. I hate to say it, but that's the way it is. I don't know if it's the Warren Commission or the HSCA, but they did investigate some claims. I think there's a section in it that talks about investigating claims that shots came from the knoll or other things, but they only did a couple of them and they were like inconclusive evidence. And if you look at the number of the people the HSCA interviewed, think out of the 126 witnesses that they claimed, there was most of them were military people. There was not, and like everyone had the same opinion of the Texas School Book Depository. Then they had a small amount that was the grassy knoll. I was like, well, hang on. We know there's a lot of people that thought shots came from the grassy knoll. So you're telling me that you guys only talked to six of those people? Yeah, and and saw and and they saw smoke too. What about the witnesses who saw smoke? <clears throat> they they turned around and they said, uh, you know, they they ignored those witnesses. What about the claim that a Secret Service member was on the knoll? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, there was a. I think it was uh what what was that guy's? Name? It was a it was a Dallas cop. He came running up. He jumped off his motorcycle and come running up the uh, embankment. And he encountered a guy who showed him Secret Service identification. 
And so he let the guy go. Yeah, Secret Service identification. And so he let them go. But there were there were eight to twelve military intelligence people in Dealey Plaza that day. And they would have their normal duties would have been to uh, provide security, added security for the president's motorcade. And they would have uh, had Secret Service identification uh, under those circumstances because they'd be working under the direction of the Secret Service. But uh, according to their commanding officer, they were told to stand down. They were told, they would, when, he, when the, the arrangements were made for the motorcade, he was told that his, his people weren't needed. And yet, for some reason, Eight to 12 of those agents were in Dealey Plaza. One of them was James Powell. But it's, it, and you have to ask yourself, well, why are they in there? Why are they there if they're ordered to stand down? Why would they be there? I got to ask, do you trust Roger Craig? <clears throat> you know what? It'd be hard to say. I, it had to, I, yes and no. Yes and no. Because Craig, see, the thing with Craig is what, it, what he said is corroborated by other people. Right. It's corroborated by Weitzman, especially about the Mauser. It's corroborated by Weitzman. It's corroborated by Boone. Uh, they said that uh, Fritz even called it a 7.65 Mauser. And Craig says that Weitzman even pointed to the marking on the rifle and said, look, there it is, 7.65 Mauser. Uh, and, of course, Fritz denied that. But there, there was another rifle. I believe there was another rifle found in the building. I believe that... The thing that that gets me about it, though, is that Craig says it was pretty much found in the same area as this rifle, as this 6.5 rifle. <clears throat> so I don't know. There, there have been other uh, reports. There was a was a report from an ATF agent, Frank Ellsworth, who helped. Uh, uh, he helped uh, uh, search the building, and he claims that the rifle was found. The uh, Malika Carcano was found in the lower floor. It wasn't found on the sixth floor. So if the right if the Mauser was found on the sixth floor and the Malika Carcano was found on the lower floor, uh, that's a possibility too. And when uh, uh, the uh, cop that ran into the building, Marion Baker, when he ran upstairs with uh, Roy Truly, his original uh, affidavit says that he encountered somebody on the third or fourth floor, and the man wore a tan jacket, the same tan jacket described by. At least one other witness who saw the man in the window with the hand with the rifle. So, and he said that Roy truly vouched for him. So, I'm thinking this is one of the this is one of the shooters, and uh, but Roy truly vouched for him. And I think Roy truly was involved in this. Believe it or not, I think there were people inside the building, the Texas School Book Depository, that were involved in this killing. Um, does that mean it's orchestrated from higher though? Because like the, I know a lot of people bring up Harold Byrd, who owned the Texas School Book Depository. And honestly, if you if you look at a number of people that have motive and means, there's a lot. I know people say everyone liked Kennedy. I was like, well, there's a lot of people that didn't, and a lot of people did profit off of the Kennedy assassination. Harold Byrd is one of those people. Byrd, and uh, it may have been higher than him. Personally, I think it might have been higher than him because. Uh, in the first week of November 1963, I, I'm, I'm doing, doing this from memory now, uh, this woman named Elizabeth Cole uh, went, uh, attended a, a meeting in, uh, I think, Rutgers University in New Jersey. And she overheard two, she, well, she overheard one, Cuban students talking on the phone. And she, because she understands Spanish, 
she uh, she heard him say something about uh, an assassination of Kennedy in Dallas, having to do with a book publishing company, and uh, that there was a very high government official who was going to take was going to protect the shooters. Now, <clears throat> this report was finally made after the assassination, but she claimed that the next day she reported it to the New York FBI. And uh, of course, the New York FBI has no record of it. I mean, the woman's got to be insane, right? There's no record of it in Washington. There's no record of it in New York. And yet her mother vouches for her making that phone call and telling them the story. Her mother was right there when she made the phone call. So here's a, here's a warning to the FBI that Kennedy's going to be killed in Dallas three weeks before, uh, or at least two weeks before his assassination. and. Uh, and then what did they do with it? What did they do with that information? Did they notify the Secret Service? Kennedy never should have been riding in an open convertible in a place like Dallas because Dallas was a crazy place. What, what did Kennedy say when he saw that ad? He said, we're in nut country now. And he saw the ad, welcome Mr. Kennedy, not President Kennedy, because they never recognized him as a president. Dallas Morning News, welcome Mr. Kennedy to Dallas. And we listed all the things, all the grievances they had with him. He never, never, ever should have gone. Uh, if he was going to go there at all, he never should have been in an open car. I mean, that's just, you might as well just paint a target, a bullseye on a guy's back. Because he was dead. And he, everybody knew it. People would say, well, when do you think the sh shooting's going to stop? Where, where do you think it's going to happen? Where do you think they're going to get him? So I have to ask, because I've asked a lot of people this so far, but... How much did you have to learn about the Cold War to understand the times better? Uh, I I read a, quite a few books on the Cold War. I mean, I went all the way back to the end of the Second World War. And uh, matter of fact, I just finished a, it was a two book volume. This guy wrote called uh, "It Did Not It Did Not Start with JFK." I think it's on Amazon right now, and uh, pretty interesting stuff about how uh, America went to the right after the Second World War. And how uh, the foreign policy of the United States was determined by the State Department to be a policy of containment. They were their policy was to contain the communist threat. They felt the communists were trying to take over the world, and they didn't want them to expand any further than they were. And when Kennedy came along, he started talking about negotiation in his uh, his uh, inaugural address. Uh, and people are listening to it saying, well, wait a minute now, <laughs> wait a minute now, this is a this is a big change before. People were afraid in the 1950s because the Russians had set up Sputnik and they were talking about this missile gap and how much technologically advanced they were. And they're going to rain down missiles on us. You know what I mean? So people were afraid. And so Kennedy comes along and he realizes that there's really no missile gap. We've got a hell of a lot more nuclear weapons than they do. We've got like a three to one edge. And so uh, he starts talking about negotiating, negotiating from strength. And uh, what, what happened was the Bay of Pigs, the Bay of Pigs screwed him up. When they had the Bay of Pigs, it made him look weak, like he didn't know what he was doing. And, uh, and this was the, and this was just the beginning, you see, because Kennedy was young, he was inexperienced, according to them. Um, he wasn't going to get the cooperation of the military. They looked at him as a PT boat commander. 
and all of these generals who had been heroes of the Second World War. You know, that guy's taking orders from this guy. You don't know what the hell he's talking about. And so you had kind of like a coalition of uh, of a, uh, a shadow government led by Lyndon Johnson, believe it or not. Now, here's an interesting thing about Johnson. Now, th I, this is all stuff that I've read, okay? But Johnson, uh, Johnson didn't want the number two spot on the ticket. All during the primary campaign of 1960, Johnson said he would never, ever ex uh, accept the number two spot on the ticket. He never wanted to be vice president. He wanted to be president. Johnson wanted to be president, okay? And, uh, but see, his, his people, specifically John Connolly and India Edwards, had gotten a hold of Kennedy's medical records. And in those medical records, uh, the doctors had concluded that Kennedy would die before he reached the age of 45, natural causes. He had Addison's disease. He had some other He problems. must died three times. Yeah. And so he would die before he reached the age of 45. He'd never see the age of 45. And when Johnson found that out, he said, whoa, wait a minute now. You know, this is my, he told somebody, I forget it was Madeline Brown or Oosh, according to her, I'm a gambling man and this may be my only way into the White House. So he doesn't tell anybody, but old Joe Kennedy owed Johnson a favor because he asked Johnson to put Jack Kennedy on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, which he did. So old man Joe Kennedy owed Johnson a favor. So when it came time to pick a vice president, Kennedy wanted to pick somebody else. Kennedy and Bobby wanted to pick somebody else. But the old man turned around and said, offer it to Lyndon first. The old man figuring. He didn't think he would take it and he took I'm it. Gonna pick. Yeah, nobody thought he'd take it because he'd been saying publicly all along he'd never take it. So when he offered it to him, he took it. Now this causes a problem. Oh, shit. What are we going to do now? Right? So Bobby goes down. He starts all kinds of shit down in Johnson's uh, suite. You know, that uh, it, it, there was a mistake, and uh, you got to take your name out of the contention for vice president because there's going to be a big fight on the floor, convention floor, and all this stuff, right? So he gets Bobby Kennedy gets thrown out of there by uh, I think it was uh, how, uh, the uh, leader of the House, Sam Rayburn, H.L. Hunt was there. There was a bunch of Texas bigwigs there. So they, Rayburn tells Bobby Kennedy, "Sonny, get the fuck out of here." So he throws him out. So. Johnson almost in tears calls Jack Kennedy sweet and talks to him personally. He says, what the hell's going on down here? Now, Jack Kennedy didn't have the balls to tell Johnson, you're off the ticket. So he, he just said to him, well, Bobby doesn't know anything about it. You know, he's out of the loop. Don't, don't pay attention to him. Just send him back. So, but Johnson, so that's how Johnson gets on the ticket. But Johnson, after he's a uh, vice president, he sees the presidency as his. Kennedy's just a caretaker, see? And so even the military is sending Johnson different reports on Vietnam than they are sending a Kennedy. They're telling Kennedy, we're winning the war, but we're winning it slowly. You know, we need we need to get more troops in there so we can do a, win it a little quicker. They're telling Johnson, we're losing. We need troops. We need troops bad. We got we to gotta commit. So, excuse me, they, they, uh, they're telling them two different stories. I believe myself, that the CIA set this up. They they preferred Johnson over Kennedy. And uh, because, because of the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was a CIA war. So they got Diem out of the way because Diem was going to throw the Americans out. He was going to tell the American ask the Americans to leave. 
EM had um, had uh, planned on making a, a peace agreement with Ho Chi Minh, and the North and South would stay separate, but you know they do their own thing, and uh, that's why he was killed. We couldn't allow that. We couldn't allow the North to uh, to remain communist, and so they um, they killed him and his brother. And Kennedy, that was not Kennedy's doing. He was he had sent the plane there. The plan was for DM and his brother to get on the plane and I think it was they were supposed to take off some meeting in Paris, France. And uh Kennedy was gonna while they were out of the country, there was gonna be a bloodless coup that took over Vietnam while they were out of the country, so that they wouldn't get they wouldn't get hurt. That was the military wanted them out. So that was the plan. But somebody, I think it was from the State Department got on the plane while they were on the plane getting ready to leave and said that there was a that there was a coup going on. So they got off the plane, they went back to the palace, and the military killed them. So I'm sorry, I keep thinking of Bill Hicks's joke when he talked about anti-Castro Cuban pigeons at a bar talking about a coup. Yeah. I mean it's just it, this is the way they did things. And they did they, all of this was being done to undermine the president's plans. Every time the president made a plan to do something, the, the CIA came on and pulled the rug out from under him. You know, and he was getting picked, sick and tired of it. Now, the Cuban Missile Crisis was a direct result of the Bay of Pigs because they were, they were rattling their, their swords again, like they were going to go after Castro again. So the Russians turned around and put the missiles in. And then they lied about it. They lied about putting the missiles in, even though we knew that Kennedy had uh, confronted them and they said, well, any, any military assistance we give to Cuba is of a defensive nature. They were afraid of another of another uh, uh, another uh, invasion. But those defensive missiles, you know, the, the old story, uh, the old joke about the gun, uh, whether or not the gun is offensive or defensive depends on which end of it you're standing at, you know. So to them, it was defensive. To us, it was this could reach most, most of our cities in the country. And so it was a big deal. But Kennedy was able to get them through a deal that he also had to keep secret that to get the missiles out of the Cuba. Uh, so all of this stuff that's going on, the Russians, even Castro, Castro thought he could, could mess around with Kennedy because he was young and inexperienced. All of these people were trying to take advantage of Kennedy, the CIA, the U.S. military, everybody, the FBI, Hoover was going in, telling him about all the girlfriends he had and and how he had all of this stuff uh, on on uh, uh, recorded, and you know, uh, what was her name there? Uh, Judith Exner was uh, well, Judith Campbell at the time called the 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 uh, called Mrs. Lincoln ninety nine times, you know. And, and he's he's telling Kennedy all of this stuff. All of these people think they can push Kennedy around by blackmailing him, or by just by pulling the rug out from under him, just not say doing what he says. You know, you know who the hell is he? He's the president. The president's a transient uh, authority. Changes every four years, sometimes eight years. So what? He, he doesn't know anything. So everybody, all of these subordinates knew more than him. And finally, I think that they said, you know what? We're going to get rid of him. We're going to get rid of him. We're going to get him out of here because, before he ruins everything. Because you know what? He's going to turn the country over to the communists. We got to get rid of him. And I think that's what happened. I think that this was, I think people describe it as a coup d'etat. I'd like to think of it as the coup, real coup was in 1960 when John Kennedy was elected. I say that this is a counter coup 
to bring it back to the th to bring the power back to the people who had it prior to 1960. And I think that's what that that's what this was. Now that's just an opinion. That's just a I, good opinion. Uh, but that, that's my opinion. But like I said, they couldn't have pulled it off anywhere except Dallas because they, they were so corrupt there that uh, in the way they did things there, there was you could literally get away, away with murder. And um, and again, like I said, when you take a look at the case itself, that, that's just an opinion of mine. I can't really prove any of what I just said. But uh, when you take a look at the case, I, you can see that the guy that they really arrested, the story that they originally told was not the truth. And they knew it wasn't the truth. Could I ask, um, the 60th anniversary is obviously coming up. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on what maybe some recommendations or maybe some thoughts on just disclosure of information, anything important is going to be happening. Obviously, I, if you look it up now, there's a lot of things that have changed from the official story when it comes to the JFK assassination, which I think is important. But I, I see that there's not really a clear cut like oh yeah the intelligence agency was behind it or this was behind it it's kind of like oswald's just shifting into something else and i don't know if that's going to be the new limited hangout or something of that sort but obviously there's my generation that has to get interested into it i mean where would you tell people to start looking in the kennedy assassination and also would you recommend that they look more into the times and the political climate back then as well too i had to learn more about the 60s and 70s to truly get an understanding of it yeah, I think that I think that that's a good that's a good point. You you do have to understand uh, the sense of history at the time, what was going on at the time. Of course, Kennedy was killed. I think I was nine or ten years old. So for me, uh, I wouldn't know what was going on. But I, any student of the assassination should be a student of history. Study the uh, history of the Kennedy uh, administration, uh, what they went through. There's plenty of good books out there on the Kennedy administration. Uh, read the 26 volumes of the Warren Commission uh, and see what the witnesses said. Get a hold of some of the videos, witness videos. I've got plenty on my YouTube channel and see what the witnesses say compared to what the uh, documentation says they said. Um, because a lot of witnesses uh, turned around and said later on in, in person, like when Mark Lane uh, interviewed some of the witnesses in 1966, they said some. They said some things that they told the FBI that never appeared in any of the reports that the FBI did. Any of the interviews, they they were just the opposite. And they're saying, "No, I never said that. I never said that the shots came from the building. I said the smoke came from the knoll. I thought the shot came from behind the picket fence." You know, so there's a lot of stuff. And again, like I said, in a normal criminal investigation, you don't have these discrepancies. You know, you don't have the you don't have the investigating body. Um, presenting the evidence that the witness is supposed to be giving opposite of what the witness said. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And when you take a look at it, like I said, you look at the way they handled Oswald, the way they handled the evidence, the way they handled the witnesses, you can see that the case, there's something wrong with this, this whole story. Well, Gil, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show. Is there a place where people can find any of your links? Yeah, uh, my links, uh, my, my website is www.gilgil-jesus.com. Uh, I've got my website there. I've got all kinds of cool stuff there. I've got documentaries. I've got uh, videos. I've got witness videos. I've got links to my YouTube channels. Podcast episodes. Uh, podcast episodes. I've got uh, links to the podcast. I've got links to uh, 
forums if people want to get into forums and start arguing with people about uh, certain things. Uh, I've got uh Don't uh, recommend the forums to people. How dare you? Uh, the uh, I I think I might even have the news group, and that's where it really gets raunchy. When you get when you get I stopped checking the education forum. I just it's well, a, it's the same I love bullshit. going into the uh, into the conspiracy uh, news group, the uh, alt dot conspiracy dot jfk. If you're do, looking in Google groups, I get in there and I start swearing at them and everything. There's a bunch of idiots in there who uh, think that uh, Oswald was guilty. And I love arguing with them and making fools out of them because I, I cite evidence. I don't, I don't give opinions. All they do is give opinions and insult people. But I like, uh, I like hitting them with the evidence. That's what Harold Weisberg said. He said, hit, hit them with the evidence. Keep hitting them with the evidence. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something else he said that I, I found. He sums up the whole case in one sentence, uh, two sentences maybe. He said, uh, the crime was beyond the capability of any one person, Oswald or anyone else. And on that basis, there was a conspiracy. And I'll leave you with that thought. Well, thank you so much, Gil, for the time. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode.